Welcome to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast, where we get to bring you sermons and content to help you bring you closer to Jesus, develop your faith, and just figure out life. Join us Sunday nights at 7 p.m. in the SCG Church Warehouse for our young adult services, or at our general services Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you enjoy. Amen. All right, all right. Get up for our worship team real quick. Grab a seat. Those are some of my favorite throwback worship songs from uh, just a handful of years ago. Uh, Everyone was voting for Oceans, if you know what that song is. Not happening. Um, I've heard it a billion times. Um, Well, hey, uh, if you are new, my name is Matt, just a dude that works here, and I'm excited that you guys are here. If you have a Bible, do me a favor, go to Galatians chapter 5 with us. That's where we are. We have been for five weeks now uh, going through the book of Galatians, and there's only six chapters, which means we are way more than halfway through the book of Galatians, mastering the entire book of Galatians. And uh, yeah, I've learned a lot. Hope you've learned a lot. And uh, let me do kind of a quick summary. If you aren't here or just had a bad memory or whatever it is, let me kind of sum up where we have been to kind of get us to where we are headed today. It all begins with a man named Paul. Paul was like the guy, right? Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, um, he kind of became a Christian about 15 years after the death, ascension of Jesus Christ, which means he wrote the book of Galatians in about 50 or so AD. Now, he wrote it to a region of churches called Galatia. Kind of like sounds like it's in Antarctica. It's not Galatia. In fact, I think I have a picture of where Galatia is. It's in southeastern Turkey, so that's where it is. Has anyone ever been to this part of the world before? Anyone? Yeah, 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 yeah. I went to this part of the world uh, a few years ago on on a Footsteps of Paul tour. But anyways, um, it's written to this region, like me writing to Southern California, Northern California, something like that. It wasn't written to a specific church. Now, Paul is writing this kind of book as a reminder that these early churches have forgotten something essential to the gospel. It's this, only Jesus saves. That's it. Only Jesus saves. Now, remember, the reason that he's writing this letter is because there were some people that came into these churches that he helped start just a few years before this that came into the churches. We, in week one and two, learned their name. They were called the Judaizers, like what? They were like super Jews. They came into the church, and they basically said, if you want to enter into a relationship with God, you first must become a good Jew, then a good Christian, and then you'll be good and a-okay with God. Now, here's what that meant. It meant that that if you wanted to follow Jesus, you first needed to become Jewish and then fulfill all of the Old Testament laws. Grow your hair out. If you like sushi, bummer. Um, If you were a guy, it it means that you needed to uh, um, go under a procedural surgery on the eighth day. It's some crazy things, right? So you need to be circumcised, which is a fat bummer. That wasn't going to be super popular, right? And so Paul's heated, and that's why he writes the book of Galatians. Now, they basically said, these Judaizers, look, you've got to be perfect. You've got to be good. Then God will accept you. You need to be a good Jew, good Christian. Then you add Jesus on top of that, sprinkling in like Saul Bay. It'll be perfect, right? That was kind of like the idea. Now, Paul's point in previous weeks, though, was that if you want to come to the God on the basis of your goodness, you must be perfect. Now, look, I know your girlfriends and your boyfriends in high school told you that you were. Bad news, they lied to you, all right? Now, here's why. Because there is no amount of good deeds that you and I can do that can make up for a bad one in our lives. And that's because God doesn't view morality as a gradient, but a category. Let me explain this, all right? We talked about it. Now, over there is not Hitler and over here, Mother Teresa, right? It's not like if I can become closer to Mother Teresa, I'm chilling. And the closer I am to Hitler, bummer, right? That's not how this works, right? It's their categories. I'm either perfect or I'm not, which means that you and I are lumped in the same category as who? Hitler, bummer, right? That, that, that's, it's a category. It's not a gradient, right? And so you're either perfect or you're not. They're categorically different. And so there's no making your way to perfection. 
right? There, it, all it takes is one mark, one scratch, one imperfection, one sin to make you categorically not perfect, destroys the possibility of you being perfect. Let me give you maybe a silly example of this. Imagine that um, I'm eager to get home to my wife and my newborn, so I, I'm driving, driving home to my house after this, right? And uh, I'm speeding. I'm going 55 in a 45-mile-per-hour area, right? I know, a great sin. Now, I'm driving, and eventually, uh, uh, the popo, they, they, they pull me over, right? And I pull to the side of the road, and the cop comes up to me, you know, and he says, you know, sir, have you been drinking the night? Like, just... No. And so I've been drinking a lot of caffeine. And uh, can I have your license and registration? I hand him my license and registration. And at that moment, I decide I'm going to protest to him. Look, officer, a timeout. Um, I want you to know that I've been like a really faithful husband. And like, um, I'm, a good, I'm a good person. In fact, I pay my taxes on time. Not this year, but that's the whole thing. I normally pay my taxes on time. I asked for an extension this year. Um, and uh, I, I, I normally like obey the speed limits. Like, I know this is a crazy thing, but like 99.9% of the time, I'm going 45. 46, right? 40, 45, 46 miles per hour, right? In that moment, all of that is irrelevant. The cops are like, I don't care. Like, like you, I, don't, I don't care about any of that. In this moment, you broke the law, and therefore you are guilty under it, right? So Paul is telling, right, these early Christians that look, like, you do not want to relate to God on the basis of your works and your actions, because if you do, you're doomed. The silly little example, the, the example I give to junior high and high school students, uh, if you grew up in my youth group, you'll know, is like, how much poop are you comfortable in your smoothie? Just like just a little bit of bird turd, you're not, you want the whole smoothie's gone, right? If I took you guys all the Jamba Juice, or Jamba Juice, Jamba Juice right after this, and I got you guys smoothies, and I just like put a little bit of bird poop in it, a little bit taints the whole thing. It doesn't matter how, it's like, no, it's just a little bit. It's just a little. You don't want it, right? Because the smallest amount of it taints the whole thing, makes the whole thing unclean. That is the idea of sin, that the smallest amount of it separates us, makes us imperfect before God. And so if it's the case that we need to relate to God based off our goodness, then we are doomed because we are imperfect. Stained by sin, there's nothing you can do apart from Jesus to change that reality, to change that nature. So the good news and what we've been learning week in and week out, the good news that Jesus brought was that we can relate to God on the basis of his work, his work on the cross, that it was Jesus' perfection can be imputed, that means to be given to us, and that we can receive the work of the cross through faith, that God gives us grace and in that grace that God gives us changes our nature so we can enter into a relationship with them. And so what have we been studying? We've been talking about in Galatians 1, 2, 3, and 4 that, that at the end of all of our lives, you will be judged by the work of your lives or the work of his lives. Those are the only two options. And time and time again, and week after week, Paul is telling us that if you stand before God pleading your own case using your work, you will be found wanting and eventually found guilty. But because of God's grace, you can stand before and be found innocent as Jesus pleads your case on behalf of you using his work and not yours. And so that's kind of what week one, two, three, and four were all about. Today, we're hopping into Galatians chapter five. If you have a Bible, go with me there. I'm not in the ESV version today. I'm in the NLT version today because I read it this week and I really like the way that it um, kind of created imagery and, and, and yeah, metaphor. Um, before we hop into Galatians five, though, I got a question I want you to turn and discuss. All right, here's the question. What was the very first bad thing you remember doing? Carly, I know your mom is here, so she can tell you. Um, what was the very first bad thing you remember doing? All right, so turn to a neighbor, very first thing you got reprimanded for, very first thing you got grounded for when you were two, whatever it is, right? Turn to a neighbor, ready, set, go. All right, all right, bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. All right, the year, 1995, all right? I lived in Huntington Beach, and uh, I don't live in Huntington Beach anymore. Now I live in Buena Park. Woo-woo. All right. Uh, so uh, <laughs> represent, I don't know, um, 714? I don't know. Uh, it, yeah, no gangbangers come from 714. Like, that ain't a thing, right? You know what I'm saying? Uh, like 909 or whatever. I don't know. Um, all right. That's if you ride motorcycles. Anyways, all right. So the year 1995. 
Um, I am two and a half or so, and uh, I have a twin sister, for those of you who don't know, her name is Melissa. And uh, I remember I got this like new shiny toy that I liked, it was like mine, right? And uh, we're downstairs, and my mom's upstairs, and she's getting ready doing whatever mothers do. And so I'm, uh, I'm downstairs and with my twin sister, and we're playing our little playpen or whatever it is, and uh, I got my new Hot Wheels car, and she grabs it, and she says, mine. And I said, mine? And she said, no, mine. And I said, no, mine. And so in that moment, I made a decision. And I'm telling you because I made the wrong decision. And so when I looked to my right, I remember there was something called uh, a dust was it, a, uh, dust devil. What was the thing? It was like the little vacuum cleaner you know what I'm talking about? Well, it literally eludes me right now. What's the name of that thing? Dust buster? No, there's a devil one. I'm, pro- I'm going to Google this right now. So I'm going to Google this. The dust devil thingy, whatever it is, right? It's like a little vacuum cleaner, you know, like a little Dyson before Dyson was a thing, right? And so um, my mom had that. And so I thought, well, I got to turn that on and put it on her head to get my hot, hot wheels back. That was what two and a half year old Matt thought was a brilliant idea. So I grabbed it. And if you know it, they have like those bristles, you know what I'm saying? Like if you're a girl right now, you're, you're bummed. And so uh, like those bristles, right? And so I turn it on and I don't know what possessed two and a half year old Matt. I stuck it on her head and turned it on. It sucked her hair off, right? It just sucked her head off, right? And so she starts screaming and I'm like, I start screaming because I guess I couldn't compute what that was going to do and rips her head and to this very day, right? So we're 29. She has a bald spot in the dead center of her head. She has to comb over like, She's a 90-year-old. Uh, it's like, and so not that big. It's only like, that's pretty big. <laughs> it's pretty big. Uh, uh, and so it like sucked her hair off, right? And I remember dropping the dirt down and like screaming and crying. And she's screaming and crying. My mom comes down. She's screaming and crying. Right? It was a whole, it was, it was a whole thing, right? But I, I think we're all aware, right, that there seems to be kind of this inward battle that like consciously like rages within our lives, right? It's a conflict between good and evil or maybe uh, right and wrong. And for the believer, it's called the flesh and the spirit. Now, the flesh in Scripture isn't talking about your height, uh, isn't talking about your clothing, it isn't talking about your nails or your acne or, your, or any of that type of stuff. That's not, that's not what it's talking about. It refers to a nature that we have and a propensity to do what is wrong. Now, biblically speaking, I don't want you to follow with me here, it's a sinful nature that we have that lives within us that causes us to do wrong even when we know to, something to do is right. Like, most people aren't dumbfounded that they're doing something that's wrong. Like, you, you have an inward moral compass where, like, you do something wrong and you kind of know about it. Like, you just kind of know, like, this probably wasn't, I'm not supposed to do this. Like, no one just goes, like, when they, like, were robbing a bank, and the police are, like, they, you know, they, they, they arrest them. They're, like, oh, that, that's not in the, I'm not allowed to do that. And like, like, people inwardly know that certain things are wrong, right? There's a moral compass. We're going to talk about that in a second that we all have. But we all have this idea of what is right, but for some reason, our lives don't always correlate and respond to that idea, right? And if you're like me, that resonates with you. So because of COVID and the whole quarantine thing, you guys are probably like me, just vegging on, on the dumbest shows you could possibly find because you had all the time in the world to do it, right? And so I feel like I watched every show on Netflix and Hulu literally possible, right? Now, some of my days when I go home, it's just me spending, holding my daughter, just like figuring out what I'm going to watch, right? Because like nothing sparks up. Well, a few weeks ago, um, uh, uh, we had this like promo for HBO. So I downloaded the app on my Apple TV because like, no, does anyone, does anyone have like DirecTV or Comcast or anything like that? You really? Like, I just feel like that's not a thing anymore. Like, get an Apple TV, Netflix, Hulu, your whole world's changed. Right, but anyway, so I downloaded the HBO uh, um, uh, app or whatever it was, and I came across a show that was entitled The Flight Attendant. Now, it's the story of a girl who is, you guessed it, a flight attendant, but she also works simultaneously for the CIA. And it's a terrible show. It's completely inappropriate. I probably shouldn't have even told you. I'm embarrassed I told you that I've seen it. But anyway, um, she is constantly doing things she knows she shouldn't be doing. Like, literally, she's over drinking all the time. She's, she's an alcoholic. Um, she's sleeping around all the time. And half the series is her just waking up in the morning going, what, what the crap? Like, wh- why did I, wh- why have I been such an idiot? Like, why did I do that, right? And I think at some level, we can all resonate with that, right? We've all had moments in our lives where we just look in the mirror and go like, 
what the heck? Like, 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 like why, why did I do that? What was I thinking? Why, why did I do insert whatever it is? I knew that was a bad idea. Yet there, there's something inside you and me, right, that just gravitates towards destruction and chaos and, and, and ill will or whatever it may be. See, that inward force that the Bible, uh, inward force the Bible gives us clarity, gives us a definition, calls that thing the flesh. I want you to follow with me in the book of Romans, because in the book of Romans, Paul also wrote the book of Romans, written to the Romans thousands of years ago, and there he kind of also gives us a little clarity of what this flesh does, what it is, how it operates inside us. In the book of Romans 7, I think I have the verse that says this, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Amen, right? I mean, you've been there, right? You're like, why do I keep, insert whatever it is? Paul too. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated, look at these words, dominated by sin and death. We get an answer, verse 25. Thank God the answer is in Jesus our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So for the Christian, right? We have two natures, two dispositions. One part of us wants to really follow God's will for our life. And then there's this other part of us, right, that just doesn't. And these natures kind of compete with each other. But Paul teaches us in the book of Galatians 5 how we can win the war our flesh wages against our spirit. Now, I want you to track with me. There are only two options. There are two options for the way that you live your life, two options for the way that I live my life. Number one, you will pull hell up into your life, or two, you will bring heaven down into your life. Those are the only two options for our lives. You will pull hell into your life, or you will bring heaven down into your life, into your relationships, into your finances, and a plethora of other things. That is a bedrock principle as we try to go into the book of Galatians chapter 5 to unlock what Paul is trying to teach us. Two options, hell up, heaven down, that's it. Follow with me in the book of Galatians 5, 16 is where we're starting today. We're ending in verse 25. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit highlight the word guide your life. And you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves, some translations desires. Other translations say, walk in the Spirit. I love that. It's the language of relationships, right? Uh, it's like a Tinder bio. <laughs> like, I love walking on the beach. Uh, but like for me, like uh, one of my favorite things is like I, I love walking, like going on walks with my wife, you know. And so we, I, I have my wife, my dog, uh, and, my, and my daughter. Sometimes my, my dog because she's wild and crazy and whatever. But anyway, so it's, my, it's my, my, my wife and my daughter and I, and we, I'll hold my wife's hand, we'll have a little stroller, and we'll walk around uh, wherever we are, right? And it's one of my favorite things to do. We just hand in hand, and, we, and, we, and I enjoy doing that with her, right? And so the idea here is that God also wants to walk with you through life right, hand in hand, and that is really the key to life change. Now you ask, why is that the key to life? Why is walking in the Spirit or walking hand in hand with God the real key to life change? How, how does it change our lives? Well, it's really simple. To sin is simply to walk away from God, removing your hand to grab something, that, some, something or someone else, right? It, it, it's maybe something you think is going to be more fulfilling, so you let go of God and onto something else. Now, another theme in the book of Galatians that we've been discovering and learning is this, that God is better than anything and everything we're tempted to leave him for. Right? God is better, offers more, is good, and better than anything that you and I are tempted to ever leave him for. And so that's what Paul's been week one, two, three, and four been trying to teach us. He's better, he's better, he's better. The world is, the world is hollow, the world is empty, God is full, God brings abundance. All these different types of things and themes he's been trying to teach us. Now, before we move forward, I want to point out something really quick, right? That both heaven and hell, well, they have a culture that you can pull into your life right now. Theological term for this, for those of you who guys care, is called um, inaugurated eschatology. Go a little later. But anyways, um, if we think about heaven, not an exhaustive list, but heaven has a culture. And what would that culture look like? What would be one of fullness and joy and, and maybe peace and love? Now, the opposite, hell, would also have a way of operating. It would have a culture of emptiness and misery and division and hatred. 
I mean, I think we need to look no further than what the hell of culture looks like or what the, what the, what the culture of hell looks like than just clicking on the news to hear about what happened in Texas this last week. How, how could a man be so possessed with hatred, division, right, misery, or whatever it may be that he would walk onto a school campus and take the life of the young? What would, what would occupy a person, whether it be demon-possessed or whatever it is, but is a person operating with the culture of hell, living out what the desires of the, of the flesh talk about? In Galatians 5, 17, Paul kind of gives us some words on this. Look, look into what he says. He says, the sinful nature wants to do evil. That's a pretty powerful word, evil. I came across an article a while back in The Atlantic, uh, written in uh, 2012 by a guy named uh, Tanashi Coates, and he makes an argument on why he is against gun control. And, uh, and, and, and against guns in, in completely. Now, his argument is so interesting because he is an atheist. He's a, not a Christian, not a believer, does not subscribe to my worldview. But his reasoning on why he is in favor of gun control and the restriction of people getting guns or whatever it may be is fascinating because in it, he communicates what I believe is called the doctrine of depravity. In other words, what Paul's talking about here. This is idea that there's something in you and something in me that just has a... De- a de- like just a, a desire, a, a focus, a disposition that, that is wrong. It's, it's, it's skewed and bent. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And he's not at all trying to articulate or represent the Christian understanding of how our sinful nature influences us, but that is exactly how he, that's exactly what he says. In essence, his argument against gun control or, or, or that there should be no guns is that there is something so fundamentally wrong and evil with mankind that no person should be able to have the capacity to possess something that's so powerful like a firearm. That's a fascinating argument from an atheist. Now, I'm going to read you a section of his article entitled uh, Violence in the Social Compact. Um, compact meaning contract or way of doing things. Uh, you can follow along with me. I think I have a, a slide for you. Um, this part isn't specifically on gun control. It's talking about his own human heart. It says this, I've been with my spouse for almost 15 years, and in those years, I've never been, anyone, I've never been with anyone but my mother's son. Or but the mother of my son. Uh, that'd be weird. Uh, but that's not because I'm especially good in... <laughs> the mother of... Oh, that'd be yourself. Uh, but that's not because I am an especially good and true person. In fact, I'm wholly in possession of unimaginable filth and a mongrel mind. But I'm also a dude who believes in guardrails, as a buddy of mine once put it. I don't believe in getting in the moment and then exercising willpower. I believe in avoiding the moment. I believe in being absolutely clear with myself about why I'm having a second drink and why I'm not. Why I'm going to a party and why I'm not. I believe that the battle is lost at happy hour not the hotel. I'm not a good man, but I'm prepared to be an honorable one. This is not just true of infidelity. It's true of virtually everything I've done in my life. I did not lose 70 pounds uh, through strength of character, goodness, or willpower. My character and will angles towards cheesecake, fried chicken, and beer in no particular order. I lost the weight by not fighting the battle on desire's terms, but fighting before desire can take effect. These compacts, contracts I've made with myself and my family, these are the only compacts we make with our country and society. Or there are others, I'm sorry. I tend to think those compacts work best when we do not flatter ourselves, and here's the most important line, when we are fully aware of the animal that is in us. In other words, this atheist is aware that there is something wrong with him. Now, he doesn't have an answer on what makes it right, but he's aware that there is something so fundamentally wretched, so something fundamentally wrong with our natures and our desires, that for some reason they always bend towards destruction and chaos and selfishness. So the world's answer here is in, in this observation of what human nature kind of looks like is to restrict us, put limitations on us. But God's answer is to free us by changing our nature. See, at the moment that one receives Christ, the Bible says that instantaneously they receive the gift, the person, and presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's incredible news, right? Because one of the reasons the second member or the third member of the Trinity enters into our life is to direct and influence us internally. 
right, to bend our lives towards the culture of heaven and away from the culture of hell. In Jeremiah 31, 33, it says this, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. See, this was a prophecy written thousands of years before the birth of Christ and before um, the Holy Spirit, the helper, came to be with us. And this is such a powerful verse because it's communicating that believers one day would no longer need the influence of the external law, which is what the law, the Ten Commandments, the 613 laws of the Old Testament, that we're no longer going to need the external law to guide our conduct, rather because one day the Bible says that God would reside in us and be an internal compass. In some sense of the way, as we give way to Jesus Christ in our lives, that the Holy Spirit would be an internal influence guiding and directing our lives ultimately leading us to be free away from the desires of our flesh that lead to destruction and selfishness. Paul paints this picture in the next few verses. Follow with me. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are highlight directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. So what is going to be talking about there? A few things really quick. Number one, the key here is to, being, to, to walking or being directed by the Spirit. But this doesn't come easily because there is a war that is going on within us. We need to choose right now what side of the war that we're going to be. And here's the question. Here's the question that uh, weaponizes or here's the question that equips you to know where side you're going to be on or fight whatever side you want to be on. It's this right here. Am I inviting the culture of heaven into my life by walking with the Spirit or am I inviting the culture of hell into my life by walking with the flesh? This question can permeate every decision in our lives. Let me just give you a few. When you're in conflict with somebody, think of that person right now. Are you choosing hell's culture of division and bitterness or heaven's culture of unity and restoration? When you're in a situation where you're presented with the opportunity to do wrong, are you going to choose hell's culture of separation from God or heaven's culture in abiding in him? This question can permeate every decision that we make. Why? Because every decision that we make either pulls hell up or brings heaven down. The key, right? The key to inviting heaven into our lives is by leaning into the power of the presence of God's spirit in our lives that's going to help us choose him daily. I'm going to tell you guys how to do that in a second, but follow with me in verse 19 and 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. It's like it's, it's present. It's on a billboard. If, if you want to know if you are not following God, if you want to know what it looks like to end up maybe in hell one day, if you want to know what it looks like not to live kingdom-down values, this is what it looks like. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. anger. So when someone cuts you off. <laughs> Selfless ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild partying, and other sins like this. The other sins like this, like he lumps in a bunch of other things. Let me tell you again, as I have before, this is scary that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's terrifying. Now, I want to I time out really quick and tell you what happens when a Christian sins, right? Are they like eternally doomed? Because like, no, 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 no. They are still legally justified. That's the Bible term that means right with God. However, there's now some tension that has entered into their relationship. I don't believe that you can lose your salvation. I believe in something called perseverance of the saints. So they don't believe you can lose your salvation. The idea here is someone who is habitually sinning, has no compass or desire to do what is godly. Why would that be problematic? Because what it would mean is that they didn't have God's spirit inside them, being the internal compass and influence directing and leading them. Or if it was inside them, they are quenching it and pushing it down so much that some theologians say, I wonder if he leaves. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I have no idea. But I want to go back really quick and look at this kind of sin list. 
The sin list that Paul kind of gives and issues out here can really be kind of categorized in the three different um, categories or organizations. The first is sexual sins. The second is spiritual sins. And the third is social sins. Sexual sins is kind of how we sin against ourselves. And the Bible talks about this, that sexual sin is the only type of sin in which you sin against your own self. We've talked about this before when I've explained to you the, the problem of sex outside the marriage, pornography, a plethora of things like that. There are chemicals like oxytocin, vasopressin. When one is uh, having intercourse or um, watching pornography or whatever it is, they're being chemically bonded to whatever they're watching and being exposed to, literally rewiring the synapses in their brain through something called neuroplasticity. It's a problem. Literally, this was written 2,000 years ago, and there's biological and anatomical evidence that sexual sin is a different type of sin. That's wild to think about. Paul had no idea of biology. He's never seen what a human brain looks like. None of that type of stuff. But sexual immorality, it says impurity, lustful desires. The word sexual immorality here is pornea. Where do we get the English word porn? <laughs> and the word for um, impurity and lustful desires can be interchangeable with the word fornication. People often say, well, where does it say I can't have sex outside of marriage? Right there. In other translations, they use the word fornication. It means to have sex outside of the confines of a covenant marriage. That, that, that's literally what it, what it translates to. Number two, spiritual sins. This is how we sin directly against God. The first is, in the list is idolatry. This is simply whenever a good thing becomes a God thing. Whatever, it's a guy, it's a girl, it's, a, it's, it's, it's money, it's a job, it's an opportunity, it's getting to that school, it's whatever it is. Whenever a good thing becomes a God thing, and as you usurp the place of God in your life, that has become your idol. That's what you subscribe most worth to in your life. That's what it means to worship something. The second is he uses the word sorcery. Like, what does he think? Like, we're like a Harry Potter? Like, what is the word? Like, what is, what's the concept here? Well, the Greek word is pharmakeia. It's where we get the English word pharmacy. And the idea here is that you're ingesting or taking drugs the purpose of getting high. Where does the Bible say that I can't smoke weed? Where does the Bible say that I can't do heroin? I probably shouldn't, but whatever. Uh, uh, here, pharmakeia. It's the idea of ingesting something that alters your substance for the sole purpose of no, no, no medicinal use. Uh, uh, health reasons, um, literally to, to get high. But it also has another idea here, and that's spiritless spirituality. Spiritless spirituality. We live in an era now where I think you could agree that many people are spiritual. I don't know what that means. They're like, I'm a Capricorn, I'm a Leo, I'm a potato, like whatever it is, right? Like they, 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 they identify as one of these astrological symbols or something, right? And they believe in some sense of the way that the, the, the universe uh, is speaking to them. I believe that there is a God that created the universe that's speaking to them. I don't know why you would pray to the stars when you could have a relationship with the one who created them, but it's another conversation. Spiritless spirituality, right? It's, it's, it's what's becoming popular through something called the law of attraction, manifesting your own futures and realities, believing you can bend the material world around your desires. You are not a creator. God is. God's the one that bends the universe and, 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 and the laws of physics and a plethora of other things. You do not have the capacity to do that, and it's wrong and sinful to think that we do. I, I, as I do youth ministries here, there's tons of kids, and it, it's, it's weird. When I went to college, I, I studied apologetics, and I believe that people are going to start asking scientific questions about the universe around them. So I studied apologetics, scientific, philosophical, biological, anthropological, answers for the Christian worldview and faith. I had no idea. I thought they were going to ask good questions about the universe. I never thought they were going to worship the universe. It was something that I felt ill-equipped in, 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 in dealing with, you know, like the law of attraction and other, and other things like that. That is spiritless spirituality. There's, it allows you to be self-governing. There's no concept of good and, 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 and evil. It may have a karmaic view of it, but other than that, you're not accountable to a God. You will not stand before him on judgment day when the Bible is very clear about those things. They're incompatible with each other. Next is social sins. This is how we sin against others. The list is quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition. It's a me-centered uh, me-centeredness, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, and wild parting. The word for wild parting here in the Greek has the concept of Partying without restraint. 
So like back when I used to drink all the time, I would drink as much as I could to get as drunk as fast as I could and then just, just black out for the rest of the night. That's exactly what it's talking about, without restraint. Go into any college campus today, and I promise you, they're not like just sitting there, you know, just like next to a fire, just like drinking, you know, like, like a little sipping little wine. That's not it. It's like getting crazy and buck wild and a plethora of other things, right? That is the idea of wild partying, partying without restraint. So here's his point in kind of creating this list, is if you are a follower of Christ, if Jesus is truly in our lives, then he will transform us so this list doesn't categorize our lives any longer. You know, as somebody once said that God accepts us as we are, but we can't stay as we are. God accepts us as we are, but you don't get to stay as you are. Like any good, love, loving, and healthy relationship, it's moving you towards completion, moving you towards wholeness. And so if this list characterizes your lives, right, it's a sign that you probably haven't experienced God's grace in your life, or at least you're not allowing God's Spirit to lead you. You're quenching it, which is another sermon for another time. Follow with me, verse 22 and 23. But the Holy Spirit highlight the word produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is, there's no law against these things. So the idea here is really powerful. It's the idea that the things that your heart really needs are not going to be achieved by working, uh, by trying to be good, right, and, 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 and all these other types of things. Right? They're not going to be achieved by working. Just like apples don't sweat to be created. Like a grape is like, you know, that's not, that's not how it works. They are simply birthed by abiding. They are simply the byproduct of abiding in that which gets its sustenance. So if you want a life of joy and gentleness and self-control and faithfulness and goodness and kindness and patience and peace and joy and love, if you want those things to permeate your life, if you want your life to have that sense of anchoring and that sense of joy and that sense of fulfillment and that sense of stability, those are only a byproduct of abiding in God. They're not things that you can shoot at and get. Now, for example, things like money and job success and a relationship, they promise those things, but they can't deliver them. People enter into relationships to maybe fill a void of loneliness, but it's not going to fill the void of their heart. The idea here is that as you aim and walk forward in Christ and make a relationship with him, your end goal, the byproduct of that is all these things. They are the byproduct. They are the natural progression and outflowing of what a relationship with them looks like. Follow with me, verse 24 and 25. Those who belong to or abide in or are connected to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. I mean, again, if we have desires inside of us that are going to lead us away from God, destruction and chaos and whatever it may be, they should be nailed to the cross. They should be separate from us. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So as we wrap up here, hear me give you, there's a question you asked, right? It's a good question. The question is this, how do we live heaven down, not hell up? Because our natural default, hell up. So how do we, how do we make the constant decision to live hell or heaven down? How do we live by the Spirit? I'm going to give you three things today. Number one, live dependently. Two, live differently. Three, live directionally. The first step here is live dependently. In all this, you need to first admit you need Jesus. And you need to know your dependency on a spirit to empower you to follow him. Naturally, you're never going to want to follow God and want his will in your life. The truth is we are our own biggest problem here. We often think that our problems and our difficulties, right, are all, all, all outside of us. We think that we'd be fine if everyone just treated us right, if we could change our circumstances and make them a little bit better. But that ignores the tenor of this chapter. It's the idea that the problem is in us, right, that you need to be dealt with by the spirit of God, that I need to be dealt with by the spirit of God. St. Augustine, uh, centuries ago, said this. He used to pray this daily. Lord, deliver me from the evil man, myself. Here's your application. I'm going to give you three applications. Application number one, you got to daily, 
daily come before God and ask him to change your heart. God, would you make me loving? Would you make me choose you? Would you help my unbelief? Would you break my heart for what breaks yours? There's a daily walking with, abiding in. God, come, God, change my heart. Change my desires. Help me be more sensitive, right, to the Holy Spirit's convictions in my life so that I may submit and listen to them. Not a whole message for today, but in the book of John, chapter 10, verse 10, it says, for the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come to give life and give it abundantly. God is never asking you not to engage in something because he, like, wants to hamper your fun. It's because he has something better for you. You know, like, I'm going to have rules in my household, and when my daughter grows up in elementary school and junior high and high school, I'm going to have certain parameters that I place around, quote, her freedom. Not because I don't want her to have a fun life full of joy and happiness and peace and a plethora of other things, but rather, it's in the restrictions that I create for her, I think and I, I believe will allow her life to flow and, and, and to be abundant. Is my dog, who's wild and crazy, more or less free on a leash? And the answer is, unequivocally more free on a leash. The second that that leash comes off, my dog will go straight to a UPS truck and die. <laughs> like, sent to death, like immediately, right? Is a kite more or less free if you cut its rope? For a moment, it may fly a little bit higher, but it is the kite. It is the string of the kite that allows all of the properties of aerodynamics to play in so that it can soar. That rope is God's word. It's the thing that tethers us so that we can live the life abundantly. We can stay within the parameters that God has set for us and enjoy life and live it as we're supposed to. You got to daily come before God. You got to ask God, change your heart, be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit's conviction and be in his word. Number two, you have to live differently. The second step is if you want different outcomes than everyone else, which is divorce, I don't know, broken families maybe, um, addiction and emptiness, that is a hell up culture. You have to live differently than everyone else is living. In short, if you want an outcome that is different than the rest of the world, you need to find a different pattern. The Bible is the roadmap that allows the Holy Spirit to lead us to heaven day by day. It helps you apply uh, God's teachings to the circumstances that are in your lives so that we can live uh, heaven down, not hell up. There's a quote by Tim Keller. He says this, a fish absorbs oxygen from water, not air. So it's free only if restricted to water. If freed from water and put on grass, its freedom to move and live is destroyed. Freedom isn't the absence of restriction. It's finding the right ones. What is water to a human being? Loving God, and that's only made possible by his spirit. Application number two is this. If, it's a question, actually. Is there any area of your life in which you are not living differently, but you should? Is there any area of your life where you are not living differently, but you should live differently? What, I don't know. Is, is it in your relationship? You're, you're, you're sexually immoral. It's an addiction that you have. When you're called, the Bible says, and if you read Galatians chapter 5, just the beginning of it, it says, it says something really interesting. For freedom, Christ has set us free. You and I are supposed to live in freedom. Being bonded to a screen and to be sexually stimulated is not freedom or substance or whatever. That's not the freedom that's yours in Christ. So is there any area of your life, right, where you were called to live differently, but you were not? Maybe it's your finances, and you hold on to your finances like the world holds on to the finances. You know, I heard it said that Christians are supposed to be promiscuous with their money and conservative with their bodies, while the rest of the world is promiscuous with their bodies and conservative with their money. We're supposed to give out our money and be generous, but have a, 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 a sexually integrous uh, view of sexuality, right? Number three, you got to live directionally. You have to live intentionally with where you want your life to end up and what you want your life to look like. Here's a truth. I've said it before. Everyone ends up somewhere 
few people end up where they want to be. Why is that? I mean, I've married tons of people, and it's never when, you know, a guy and girl are here, and they have their vows, and they just go, oh, I just can't, I just can't wait to, like, royally ruin this thing, you know, like, oh, it's gonna be great, like, you're gonna sleep on the couch, I'm gonna sleep in the bed, we're not gonna talk to each other, uh, you know, we're gonna have our different shows, and we're just, we're gonna, like, we're just gonna grow to hate each other, you know, it's gonna be awesome, and then one day, like, you're gonna cheat on me, or I'm gonna cheat on you, and it's gonna be fantastic, that doesn't happen, or no, when, when, they're, when the birth of their child, they just hold them and say, like, I just can't wait to make you just, like, a disaster, you know, like, just, like, so codependent, it's gonna be awesome, you're gonna grow up to hate me, and it's gonna be fantastic, it doesn't happen, but it, they don't plan for it not to happen, Here's the truth, right? Everyone ends up somewhere. A few people end up where they want to be, and so here's what this means. You need to create a vision for your life about what you want your life to look like and what you want your relationship with God to look like. This vision is important because it will create guardrails that will keep you in line with realizing or actualizing that vision. Let me give you maybe an example. If you want the end of your life, and you want the end of your life to have a relationship with God that is faithful and you are connected and you are abiding in Him, when a guy or a girl comes into your life who isn't a believer... Or when a job comes into your life that removes you from your church, or whenever there is a temptation to do what you know is wrong, you will say, that is not in accordance with the vision for my life, and therefore that is not what is for me. God has something better for me. So application three, create a vision. Create a vision for your life, and we'll end with a question, right? The question is this, what three words, what three words do you want to define your relationship with God for the next 60 years? What three words do you want to define your relationship with God for the next 60 years. I'm going to be 89 in 60 years, and I'm looking in the rearview mirror of all of that. What three words do I want to adequately uh, communicate and illustrate the relationship that I have had with God? Another way of saying this, there's a book um, by Stephen Covey, uh, the, uh, the Seven Something of Highly Effective People, Seven Habits of... Yeah, something like that. It's a great book. You should read it. Um, not a Christian book, but it's really interesting. In it, he says, I want you to imagine what people are going to be saying at your funeral one day. That is your real definition of success. One day, people will be speaking at our funerals. What do you want them to say? One day, you will stand before God. What do you want him to say about your life? What will you be accountable to? So in what three words do you want to define your relationship with God for the next 60 years of your life, right? So with God's spirit, we can live dependently. And as we live dependently upon God's spirit, it'll help us live differently. And ultimately, as we live differently, it'll change the direction of our lives where we can live heaven down, and not invite hell up into our lives. Let me pray for you guys, and I'll give you guys 20 or so minutes to go through your guys' groups. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you that you have given us the gift of your spirit to be present with us, to empower us, God, to choose you. Where we can live dependent upon you, we can change the direction of our lives as we continue to submit to you. And so, Father, I pray that you would continue to strengthen us, speak to us, lead us. We love you. We give this time for you to work in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast. For more information about our services, events, and ways to get involved, head on over to scgchurch.org. Thanks again for listening and have a blessed day.